everybody, and welcome to the Hardcore Finance Show with Alex and Shimon. How are you doing today, Alex? Yeah, I'm in a funk. How are you doing today? You, you've been better, is what you're saying? I've been better. I've been better. I think I'm echoing the, uh, the, the common kind of sentiment of the whole market. <clears throat> We've been better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's brutal. It's interesting that the interest rate increase has all of these ripple effects. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, our industry took a big hit. I mean, more and more stuff is coming out on this whole FTX debacle. But yeah, some good friends of mine lost everything on FTX. Very, very, uh, very sad. Um, it's just, it's, you know, people were asking, why would he risk his $32 billion valuation by stealing clients' money, allegedly? The thing is, it wasn't a $32 billion valuation. It was all built it on was bullshit. Yeah, it was all built on a scam. So, yeah. So, hopefully our industry can grow stronger from this uh, long term, even though it's painful in the short term. What What do you think? At least I have my pretty coffee. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole thing was a scam. The more and more things that are coming out <clears throat> about how they did due diligence. I mean, if, if anything, there's going to be a big fall-off from this. Uh, Jim Bianco from Bianco Research had a good podcast. Uh, I think it was the Blockworks podcast a few days ago. They were talking about punitive, essentially. Mm-hmm. But there are also some... I'm not here to spread conspiracy theories. But, however, <laughs> there are a couple of things that are inconsistent here. Um, one, this is... I mean, this is just pure fraud. Pure, pure, pure blatant, disgusting fraud. And what's actually more disgusting is that the New York Times did a piece on Sam and made him out to be some sort of like some entrepreneur or altruistic, you know, billionaire lost his way. It's bullshit. I mean, this guy literally stole people's money. Like, and, and just completely, whether he knew it or he was oblivious or he didn't put the right controls, had nefarious, like, ne- there's nepotism there. You know, people running trading shops, without knowing how to run trading shops. I'm talking about how Alameda was so tied into FTX. They were front-running trades. There's just so much fraud here. Like Alameda was front-running trades because they knew they had a faster API than everyone else to FTX. And FTX was literally a source of income. But we're going to have punitive regulation coming from here, especially from Democrats, who he's funneled so much money to. And the, the conspiracy theory is that you know, if anybody wanted to, like the way Rockefeller brought down uh, was um, uh, the Knickerbocker Trust Company, then <clears throat> you especially spread FUD about this stuff. You say that, you know, things unsolvent are going to go down. And this could very well be TradFi. It's a very well-coordinated attack. They found some idiot, right? Mm-hmm. And then they gave him all this money. <clears throat> they knew about his connections. I mean, this is an, an orchestrated, if there was an orchestrated attack. I mean, a lot of things have to kind of go right. But they pumped him up, and this also can explain why you know Wall Street has been very wary of coming in. And I mean, we'll see what happens. But this is, um, you know, Ken Griffin is coming out with a major Republican donor and, and the CEO of Citadel. He's coming out saying, "Oh, how this is you know going to be? There's lack of trust in the financial markets, and how everyone's talking about this. This is front and center everywhere. And because there's crypto attached to it, we're missing the the, the forest for the trees." Or maybe they're not. This is exactly what they wanted to do. DeFi didn't fail. 
C5 failed, you know, and, and not only that, this is just complete fraud. Excelsius and three euros capital are tiny compared to this. These guys are probably caught out of position. Excelsius, in retrospect, you're looking at it, got caught out of position. We're doing things like gambling, doubling, uh, doubling down. Um, <clears throat> not sure if there's anything that said nefarious there. This is stealing people, stealing $10 billion. He took customers' funds, put it into, uh, in, uh, into VC investments, made those companies put their treasuries back onto FTX, essentially funneling money through, investing in low liquidity tokens, pumping up the price, and then making the total uh, essentially circulating cap feel like your token is bigger, right? So if you take, you put 10 million in a token uh, that's, that's, that's small, <clears throat> right? And you keep most of the tokens locked up, the circulating supply is small, you pump a little bit more, the price goes up, the total value on your books looks huge because if 90% is locked up, you, you know, you're only moving 10% of the market with a very little amount of money, you look like you have billions. I mean, there's just so much, so much wrong here. And the crypto moves so fast that people don't do due diligence. Even the big shots, so, they know, also do them. I'm not going to give them a pass that crypto moves so fast. Like, I'm sorry. Like, this is one of the biggest stories of Sequoia, right? You yeah. and I, we're not venture capitalists, right? But the first thing I would say is like, show me your balance sheet, right? And now the, the crazy thing is I heard a podcast with another venture uh, fund that they pitched to, like SBF pitched to them to be part of the last deal. And then when the, the you know, people asked for data, right? Literally the person working for SBF told them, go fuck <coughs> it. Like in, in yeah. these words. Now, I'm just saying, looking at the balance sheet, that's like so basic. Now, anyone could have seen that this FTT stuff, right? Forget about the fraud and stuff. FTT, right? It's a derivative of the entire crypto market, right? And it's extremely illiquid. So it's, it's both of those things. It's like, on the one hand, if the crypto market, you know, collapses by 50%, FTT could collapse by like 90% because it's, it's not liquid. And so, yeah, you can't just take the last price of FTT multiplied by the outstanding supply and say, this is the value. Now, we're not venture capitalists and we understand that. So how come, I understand that Sequoia, you know, for them, it's $200 million. It's not a lot, but I mean, it's a lot. Well, I mean, it's well, a lot of money. <laughs> so what it makes me mad. Sorry, yeah. I'm just, I'm just so, what makes me mad is that there are, there are serious founder. My a friend of mine is raising money for his project. He's having the hardest time and he has an actual business case. A project could fail. It could succeed. But he has a business case that's thought out. All the details are thought through. There's a revenue model attached to it. <clears throat> and these like Sequoia, you know, uh, A16Z and others are, you know, won't listen to, won't, won't take a call from him <clears throat> because he's a nobody. But, and Sequoia, you and, you and I both know how these things are. And maybe I'm just a little bit mad. But anybody from Sequoia listening or hears this, please come at, please, please let come on the show. Let's have a chat. Partners, we had a partner from the NEA, Ben. I'm on the show, Ben uh, and the Rassen. <clears throat> He's no longer with the, with him. He started his own shop. Very competent guy. We had a we can link the episode to this one. A great conversation about doing due diligence. Come on, guys, come from Sequoia, come to the show. How could you? You guys are just. There's this hubris here and pompousness about who you are and 
and you know what you guys all bring to the table. The failure of Sequoia to be able to see through this and the fact that they were bragging, they were like, oh, is this the first trillionaire? Or oh, how cool is it that he's playing League of Legends while he's pitching to you? Like, no, they didn't know that he was playing League of Legends. They did? No, they, how did they know? No, they did. They were talking about it. There was a chat. But I'm gonna, I just want to make sure it's right. I'm gonna, there's some tweets that show internal, like, oh, this guy is doing, is doing whatever. Oh, he's the next trillionaire. Oh, love this guy. I, yeah, I thought that internally they were saying it's the next trillionaire and 10 out of 10 and stuff. But like the people from the other side were saying that he was playing League of Legends. And then they published it. What's, what's sure is that Sequoia published on their website. Now they removed it, but they published like a, a write-up of like what they did. Mm-hmm. And in the write-up, it said that he played League of Legends. So, like, after the fact, they knew. So it doesn't really matter if they knew. I know you're looking it up right now. But... I'm looking it up right now because I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> um, no, but the crazy thing is, like, a lot of this VC stuff is really just trend-following. Like, I remember when I was pitching to VCs, uh, for my startup that I had, um, it was all about like, oh, this doesn't currently fit our investment thesis, right? Which is fine. I understand that you raised one. Are you still looking up of the League of Legends? Thing? Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they didn't know. And they, I'm, I'm trying to find it, but. They know. published it on their website. That's all you need to know, you know? All right. But yeah, okay. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. So I'll, so stop, I'll stop like, looking it up. You raise like limited partner money, right? And so, yeah, you have to tell them that you have some kind of thesis. But, like, a lot of it is, like, uh, I don't want to use, like, NSFW words here, but, like, you know, Sequoia invested, and then the pension fund invested, and then somebody else says, both Sequoia and the pension fund invested. So, of course, you know, it's like everybody thought that somebody else had done the due diligence. And, uh, yeah, it's it's so sad. But, um, you know, what can I, I, another thing that I was very kind of upset by is this whole effective altruism thing. I'm really starting to think that, you know, if you think that the end justifies the means, and this is going back to many of our conversations of left versus right, you know, so people who think that the end justifies the means are the most dangerous people. You know, I told you privately, like both Stalin and Hitler, they really thought they were making the world a better place. Like I, I uh, you know, my grandfather, <coughs> Uh, passed away. Um, uh, sorry, my father passed away recently. And so I, I went into the family stuff that he had at home. And, and my grandfather was an ardent communist, right? He was very high up in the Bulgarian government. And I I found some of his writings. And he's all about like so many poor people are suffering, you know, all over the world. We have to help them. We have to export communism, you know, to all over the world. Because look at it here in Bulgaria, we have like a worker's paradise. And so let's build workers' paradises elsewhere. They had the best of intentions while killing like 60 million people, you know? And so I, I think with SBF, it's it, in a sense, you know, why wouldn't you just like put 10 million, $30 million in a stash them somewhere, like legally stash them. I'm not talking about hiding them, just like stash them somewhere and then say, look, we fucked up. SBF, uh, FTX is going bankrupt. Alameda is going bankrupt. I'm not going to fail, and I have my $30 million. But no, he had to double down to salvage everything because he had this story in his head that, oh, I'm going to create all these billions and give them all away and, you know, make the world a better place. And it's so dangerous. And in the meantime, he's buying a $30 million condo to his girlfriend, allegedly. And I don't know, like, stuff is coming out now every day. I don't even know what's true. I'm just quoting a tweet that I read. But it's just sickening, the, the, whole, the whole situation, you know? 
Yeah. 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 I just, I have not, you know, and, and the fact that he lost customers, money, there are funds that are going to get, there's going to be a huge ripple effect. It'll take months to unwind all, you know, all the ripple effects. He's causing a huge, huge, huge storm over our whole industry for all the projects here, for all the exchanges, the one we work at that are trying to do the right thing. You know, I, I've never been pressured at work or, 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 or even hinted to commingle customer funds with, you know, with anything else or, or to do. It's like criminal, right? It's not even a thought that crosses anybody's mind. I was asking the first thing I asked, we had a mini kind of all hands meeting. I asked like, Hey, can we say to people, get your coins off our exchange? Are we comfortable saying that in all the leadership, they all said, yes, of course, we should be saying that publicly and be proud of that. That like, you no, know, your, your funds are in a sense, they're a liability for us, you know, because like if we get hacked, it's a bad reputational damage for us, but we are not making money from customer funds. And, uh, and then that's the other thing, like he wasn't Celsius at least was promising yield. I guess FTX was also promising yield. No, uh, no, you know, if you have your funds in a trading account, it was all on paper. You know, the, the fact that they took the funds and, and one people had no idea. People were exposed to massive, clearly massive risk without ever knowing that they were exposed to massive risk. There's just so much criminality here. Well, I mean, they, they like, were offering yield. I just want to say this is an important lesson because uh, a friend of mine who lost a lot of money on FTX uh, US, he said, I was yeah. drawn by the interest on my BTC and false. Yeah, if you, if you probably put it into their earn program, I don't know, but if you're trading, no, we also took yeah, trading funds. You generate yield from earn. I, you know, on OKCoin, you cannot no, no. generate BTC yield on earn. You can generate earn on other tokens, but like they yeah. were paying BTC yield, which is where does the yield come from? And, and guys, I really want every one of you, whenever you talk about DeFi or whatever, there's legitimate sources of yield. For example, the arbitrage of, of uh, GBTC that existed, now it doesn't exist anymore. There was an arbitrage between the futures and the spot that existed, now it doesn't exist anymore. Those are legitimate sources of yield. And then, you know, once they stop, BlockFi, for example, they emailed their customers, sorry, we were paying you 3%, now we're going to pay you 0.1%, you know, and that's okay. But always ask yourself, where does the yield come from if you're promised yield? And unless you have a very, very good answer to that question, just don't invest because Bitcoin is not a yield generating instrument. There's other tokens that are engineered to generate yield. Bitcoin is not one of them. So, you know, on dollars, it's very clear where the yield comes from. It comes from the Federal Reserve, who literally sets the yield on dollars. That's it. Very clear, you know. So uh, very important. Do not you know, expect magical, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, sad that we have to learn this over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's quite sad, quite unfortunate. And we're going to see uh, just a storm of punitive regulation. <clears throat> and, and I'm sorry, but <clears throat> you know what, where the hell, Let's have Gensler on the show. Where the hell was Gensler? You know, you're talking about the SEC protecting consumers. You're chasing after Ripple. Fine, fine. 
settle the court case. It's been years. Like show the evidence, uncover your emails that talk about that, that show or not, whether you were talking about Ripple being a security or not. Set regulations, write them, right? Create frameworks or guidelines. None of that is happening. He's chasing these you know, punitive cases instead of actually spending time on writing regulation to prevent something that where Sam and him are sitting and writing regulation together. The guy who you're supposed to, you let the wolf in, man. Gensler, you left the wolf in. How will you're not fired? Of course you're not going to be fired. Well, you're tied in with war fair. and all the other ones. Right? To be fair, you could make the case that it wasn't his job. To because how make because he did regulate FTX US and part of regulating FTX US is, is not looking at the books but it's just like making sure that the investment. I disagree with you. Like I, I disagree. don't think it's the government's job to look at the books of companies. Usually they come in after, and that's actually the biggest. That's my biggest case for we don't need regulation. We need the government to just like not make any promises and let the market self-regulate maybe. But like, because that's another podcast I heard. Literally all of the collapses have not been caught by the government. They only come after the fact and like put people in jail. But like all of the regulatory burden does not prevent uh, collapses, not because regulators are incompetent, but because it's just impossible for them. How are they going to, uh, you know, to monitor that? Now, I have a close friend who works at FINRA and FINRA is a great example of voluntary regulation. It's not a government body. It's a completely private thing. And then exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange and all of the biggest exchanges, they voluntarily, uh, you know, submit to FINRA. And then it's amazing. He told me some of the stuff they do. They have these, these every single trade that's, that's, that's executed uh, <coughs> is fed into FINRA. They have these huge AI systems that run very, very sophisticated analyses to catch things as they happen. But that's not a government entity. That's a private entity. And so, right, so I'm not kidding because so I'm not arguing. Sorry, go ahead. but listen, yeah, but I'm not arguing for necessarily more regulation. I'm saying you're the SEC chairman. Okay. And you're supposed to be a regulator. You're focused on punitive regulation of tokens as securities, right? Instead of saying, Hey, here's a framework for the space, which everyone has been asking about. Come up with a, there's, punitive going after companies, right? Or like criminal uh, cases. And then there's writing the rules, write the rules, whatever. Then we can debate on the rules. For example, if you take customer deposits, you cannot also lend them out. Like let's, or, Hey, let's have exchanges. I wouldn't mind. There's a, for example, I, there's a couple of regulations that I think to me would be fairly, uh, fairly easy slam dunks. Stable coins. If you're issuing stable coins, make sure they're backed by liquid assets and have an audit every quarter, every month or whatever. It's not hard. It's not hard. You keep the money on the spread. Keep the money on the spread. Keep the money on managing the, the amounts. Like what circle is going to say no? Like I, I, I refuse to show you that we're invested in treasuries. This, this is an easy one, I think, right? Do you, would you agree with this? Like yeah, stable coins, keep it in treasuries, right? Okay, fine. So that, that, there's one, right? Uh, easy one. I think the second one is exchanges, which is we are. Show us, like, on a, you know, if you want to be a U.S. regulated exchange, which we are, show us the books every quarter and just say liabilities, 
right? <clears throat> Deposits just so just so we can just see that the balance sheet is healthy and that you're not sending customer funds out. You think we, Kraken, Coinbase, Gemini, any of the other ones would say no to this? This this would be like, sure, we do this anyway. Like, you know, this is like, sure, like, I'm not saying like over-regulate, but just basic solvency, you know, basic solvency issues. Now, not, you know, earn for earned products, right? If you're, if you're money managing earn, which we're not, but others are, right? Then you are regulated in the money markets, which already exists. The regulation is just, just help people say, okay, if you earn equals money markets, then you abide by that regulation because you're managing, you're, you're managing people's money. And that's it. They already have requirements. There will still be fraud. There will, people will still go under, but at least we have the basics down, right? The criminals will always find a way. Criminals will always, always find a way. But some of these basics, instead of just going after the random stuff and yelling about crypto and how we need regulation, blah, 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 because what's coming, she won't, is much worse. What's coming is going to be much worse than these. I know. I mean, I think we just need the FINRA of crypto. I don't trust the government because, like, wh what you just said, it sounds easy. It's not easy. Because, like, if you're a public company mm -hmm. like Coinbase, right, then you already have these requirements. Everything you just said about showing your books, et cetera. Right. Yeah. You're not a public company. At what level do you start requiring companies to show their books? You know, it's, I don't know. It's let's uh, start, let's start the pinner of crypto. It's easier said than done. But my point is, you know, yeah, I I'm, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but I want to change the, the subject currently to something optimistic because all of this has been very pessimistic. So the CPI print <laughs> came, um, lower than expected. And uh, the markets are rallying since uh, they published and PMI and PMI. PMI. Yeah, basically, everything kind of <laughs> goes together when it's bad. It, it's all bad when it's good. It's all good. So what do you think of that, Alex? Uh, do you have any thoughts? Um, I mean, no, it's great. <laughs> it's great. I hopefully we see month over month uh, declines in CPI. The dollar is also falling. Dollar is at 105. It's just for precipitous fall and Bitcoin isn't moving which is a problem, right? Because before it should be... Anything about Bitcoin these days, I'm completely discounting because we don't know how much of it is driven. Like you can't say it's a problem that it's not moving because of the dollar weakening when literally people are liquidating their <laughs> like every single day to cover bankruptcies and stuff. It's, it's currently, it's so choppy. I'm kind of discounting the anything that happens with the price until things settle down. When we're yeah. talking about macro stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. <laughs> I so my my good my positive take on that is double. First of all, it's great that uh, you know th it's the first time that it's gone down literally since COVID. Uh, so that's like really good. Second thing, I looked at the total inflation, like it, just total CPI. So if we look at like May of twenty twenty, the index was at two fifty five. And now we are at 298. So I'll quickly calculate 298 divided by 255. So we're up like 17%. Now, remember that we spoke um, a while ago and I told you my thesis, which is like we printed 40% of the dollars since COVID. Half of it is held outside the country. So basically we're expecting a total of 20% 
price increase. You know, if all else being equal, like really quickly back of the envelope, you know, you increase the supply of money in the country by 20%, you expect the prices in the country to go up by 20%. So we're already at like 17% out of the 20%. Uh, so there's a good chance that, you know, we're, and, and also Ukraine. Wait, walk, walk me through your logic again. <clears throat> well, you know, you just increase the money supply by 40%. Just Overall, that's a fact. That's how much the Fed printed. Mm. Half of it is held outside of the country, which is also a fact. So you would expect prices in the country to go up by 20%. Okay. It's very, very basic. It's not, yeah, there's deflation from technology, there's inflation from the war in Ukraine and energy and all that, but like just like back of the envelope, you know? And, and how are you getting 17%? Well, no, that's the actual. 17% mm. is the actual change in CPI from its lowest point after COVID, which was May. Because if you remember in the beginning, there was a lockdown and price of oil went negative. And like, the, you know, people were locked down at home. They didn't consume. So there was actually a deflation in the beginning. And then from that low point in May 2020 until today, we have gone up by like 17% total. Interesting. So uh, if we want to be optimistic, we can say, okay, that's kind of the end. We're in the tail end of the... Um, of the stuff. Uh, also, lots of companies are of the stuff. We're at the tail end of the increases in CPI. Lots of companies are laying off lots of workers. Uh, I don't know if you're following these news like Amazon and yeah. Facebook and tons of companies. So, especially in the tech sector. So, all of that will basically show that the Fed can can pivot, stop you know, the aggressive hikes and maybe even revert them. And also the fact that the Democrats uh, performed better than expected on the midterms could be good for that because uh, the idea also, was... Well, I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm not a huge political person. I don't understand those dynamics, but I heard on a podcast that if the Republicans would have swept like, you know, huge uh, margin in the Senate and huge margin in the House, they would basically want things to be really, really bad for the next two years. So they would win in the presidential election. But now that they don't control everything, uh, they're kind of like, you know, they have less power, basically. Now, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. But that's just like a, an opinion I heard on a podcast. I'm not like. Yeah, listen, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. I think um, it's so it's so divided. It's so kind of evenly split. 50 seats in the Senate, it's going to be 50-50 or 51-49 in the Senate. And then in the House, at best, I think Republicans would be two, 225, I think, instead of 218, which is the majority. <clears throat> I mean, it's so close. The one encouraging sign is it seems like Trump, uh, candidate yeah. Trump supported, they all lost. lost. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so it's coming to the middle. So this is, like, good. It's, like, thank God. Um, But, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, Tech got decimated. What I'm nervous about is that even though the Fed will pivot or, or increase in lower amounts, I think they're still going to increase in maybe 50 basis points or 25 basis points. Um, we're going to hit a recession where the earnings are going to fall, right? And so you have multiple and you have earnings. And, and so the stock stocks is going to be very subdued. Yeah, maybe but mid, mid well, the thing is usually the, the stock market turns six to nine months before the the recession turns because they're anticipating we might not be in a recession so let's say the stock market turns middle of next year that's a long time 
that's a long time to wait. I mean, it's a long, painful time. And what if it ranges for 10 years, which is what, you know, some opinions are out there. So. I don't know. I'm just optimistic about the, the whole technology thing. I think it was just like COVID created a misallocation of capital. Now we're paying the price. We're clearing all the like malinvestments, all of the things that were only, even Alameda, like people said, like if they could keep raising money at like no interest, they could keep it going. The problem is that now money became expensive. And so they started entering into a debt spiral. So, yeah. so the government at some point will have to do that. I don't know when, but yeah, I mean, let's hope, let's hope that it's not a very painful recession and, you know, COVID is getting better. Hopefully the war in Ukraine is getting better. We'll Maybe sometime mid next year, there's going to be the war will kind of end. I was very encouraged by someone encouraged by when Biden met President Xi. You know, we're trying to simmer down the tensions. And finally, China came out and said, hey, nuclear war is not acceptable because before they, they were kind of standing behind Russia. So that's an encouraging sign, right? And then basically saying cooperation because U.S. If U.S. goes to war with China, which that would be just a global catastrophe. I don't think so. I am really, I don't know. I have a lot of respect for the Chinese people in terms of they, they don't like to conquer other, you know, it's like, just look at their history. Russia and China are very different. For sure. But they think we're conquering. We think we're conquering because of Taiwan. <clears throat> right. Which there could be some truth to that, so to speak. Not not necessarily because Taiwan, but America is very imperialistic in general. We'll see. I mean, I'm I'm bullish on a multipolar world because I think that that's what the U.S. needs in order to really, really excel. I mean, again, I'm listening to all of these like Elon Musk videos of like sending stuff into space like that's what we should be focusing on we should be focusing on just like harvesting tons of energy uh he did a really cool uh prize of a uh, hundred million dollars or 150 million dollars for any viable way to suck co2 out of the air because like currently apparently you know i i told you that the technology exists i was wrong <coughs> it exists but not at scale so it exists as a proof of concept in, in universities but uh, no, I no, it does exist. There's carbon sequestration has been around for a while. But it's not enough to revert climate change. So it's not enough it's to to be able to do it at scale, even if you had like a lot of energy. Is is what they said on the on the prize. I'm I'm happy to link that X Prize video is Peter Diamandis, because uh, if anybody's listening to that pod, to this podcast and and can work on that, that would be amazing. Again, I really believe people say climate change. Are we going to do it by getting off fossil fuels? Eventually. But I mean, you can't force that. With the current energy prices, you can't like force people to get off fossil fuels. So it's much more efficient yeah. to use energy to sequester carbon. We have enough energy. It's just a matter of developing it. It's crazy. We haven't built a nuclear power plant in like 30 years. Uh, Europe just like underinvested in its energy, you know, sufficiency. So those things can turn in five to 10 years. By the way, by the way, it's supposed to be a warmer, hopefully this is right, than usual winter in Europe this year, which is like, you know, thank you. Towers <laughs> above there. So that Russia, because if it was a bad winter, you know, Russia would have been emboldened. Hopefully these guys, I mean, this war just needs to end. There's so many people suffering. Uh, it just, you know, and then and then we just have to not do the same thing we did with World War One, 
to completely punish them. And they, Russia needs some sort of way out to save face. It's a very important thing. <clears throat> and then, and then demilitarize or at least get put out. I mean, you're the expert in this. Is it <clears throat> that now with, uh, is it Kherson that they evacuated? What, is that the name of the city? Yeah, uh, Kherson. From, from Kherson, now they control the only um, movement in and out of Crimea? With, with uh, their- it's a huge, it's, well, yeah, because the, 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 the uh, Dnieper River runs down there, right? So it's a huge, it's a huge, huge victory. Um, the other movement to Crimea was from the, the, the Crimea, I forgot the, 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 the bridge, what it's called, from Russia that they built, which the Ukrainians, well, well, Ukrainians, but it could be the Russians have bombed and sabotaged. So there's from the sea, there's through Kherson. And then it's through the other bridge. So they're they're cutting off Crimea in a major way, yeah. So yeah, so maybe this will give Putin the out to basically say, look, we, you know, the West will recognize Crimea as Russian, and but the basically Ukraine will have a finger on the trigger. If something happens, they can always cut off Crimea, and so that could be a stable, because uh, because like for peace, you need just some kind of stable game theory. Where like nobody has like been completely humiliated, like uh, for example, uh, Israel signed the peace treaty with Egypt after the 1973 war, where Egypt could claim that they won, even though they didn't win. But what they did is they just like inflicted so many casualties on Israel that they could mm-hmm. market this internally as like, haha, we punished you know the cocky Zionists. And then we signed a peace deal, gave up all of Sinai. And I love going to Sinai. I don't care if like Egypt controls it, like all my childhood and, you know, my best vacations were in Sinai. They're super nice people, the Egyptians. So who cares who controls it if there's peace between the two countries? So maybe Crimea can be like, okay, it's owned by Russia, but like, you know, (coughs) uh, can still go vacation there and they're not going to be harassed and, you know, it's going to be a good spot. And the, then the trigger, like controlling Kherson, could be that thing. Because, like, otherwise, it's like, why would Russia agree to 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 freeze the situation in this? Because they're losing militarily. Because you're getting defeated. They 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 have no more weapons. They're running out of weapons. They're running out of people. So the problem with the problem with this Crimea is very important because there's a port on the Black Sea with Sevastopol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sevastopol. Actually, my grandfather served in Sevastopol in the in the Soviet fleet in the Soviet Navy, uh, and his ship actually had a had an old German mine, a water mine. And he actually he has a war wound. This my my father's father. Mm-hmm. His, his ship sunk. <clears throat> um, but if you if you're doing that, the only port that then Ukraine has is Odessa, really, on the, on the sea. Um, on, on the Black Sea. And, and Sevastopol is a much more strategic port. It's kind of the end, like Crimea extends into the sea. It's the end of the sea. So Russia could, through Sevastopol, control a lot of the port. Crimea has to be demilitarized at the very, at the very, I think, least for any kind of peace agreement and make it a peaceful resort destination, which could be fine. Mm-hmm. Right? But then but then for Russia, why is, it, why is that important for Russia? Because of the access to the Black Sea as well. I mean, Russia can create ports in other cities, but uh, maybe that's the way. Maybe that's the way to play it. <clears throat> now I heard on the All In podcast that Biden finally told uh, Zelensky, "We're not giving you any more weapons until you start like negotiating for peace." So it's the first time that uh, the U.S. is 
pushing Ukraine to like deescalate. And it's funny because like David Sachs, who's the libertarian on the podcast, he, uh, people always blame him of being like Russian apologist and Putin <coughs> boy or whatever. Mm. And he's like, no, I just want the US to have an exit strategy from this mess. Otherwise it can become another Vietnam, you know? And so then in the last episode, they played a game, which is <laughs> the best intro ever. It's called Millie or Sachs. He would say something and you had to uh, guess, was this said by General Milley or by David Sachs? And you couldn't distinguish. Uh, and, and this is only recently. So Milley has been de-escalating hardcore. So hopefully that's... Who is General Milley? He's like the head of the <clears throat> army or Joint Chiefs. Right. Listen, I, I'm not going to lie. I listen, one. I, listen to the, I listen to the all-in as well. And Sachs is just a useful idiot. I mean, he, this is where he's way beyond his skis. I know I'm, I'm off camera for a second. He's way beyond his skis and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And him and others that are trying to chime in on geopolitics, I'm sorry, they just don't know what they're talking about. I know, so it's that's a very Western game of Millier facts to, to show that his opinion now became the, the, you know, he's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I just looked it up. He's the number one person. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know, maybe, but again, this is Western false. It's just It's just a political move so that Biden before you know, next year can say they, he wound down the war. There is there's a very different mentality between Eastern Europeans, especially Russians, and uh, and the Western world. I was talking to this um, a mother of my kids in the same place. She's, uh, she's Polish and the Czech. Uh, we have Czech friends. Everyone from Eastern Europe understands the Russian mentality is of one of strength. It's a very brutal mentality. Mm -hmm. It's it's literally the top dog. Or runs the pack, and as soon as they show weakness to Putin, he's going to come back in ten years with a much stronger army, and it's going to be the same thing. He has to be fully, fully, fully defeated. That is the only way out of this. Otherwise, we were doing the same thing we did in two thousand eight and nine, is we stopped the great financial crisis, which led us arguably to what we're what's happening now. So, question is, do we want a, a complete unwind later on, but in ten years, or do we want to just take care of the problem now? And this is always thing of pushing can down the road. The question is like, how do you define defeat, right? So like from what I'm seeing is like a lot of their air force has been destroyed. A lot of their, you know, uh, tanks have been destroyed. Like it's pretty, pretty big defeat so far. Yeah, but you can rebuild all that. Okay, this is... but the point is it changes your, so it changes the whole perception. So the Russians had a perception of the Red Army has never lost. It was a very, very strong perception. It was like the white army lost, Lenin came to power, founded the red army, and they've never lost since then. And so now, you know, all you have to do is just basically build a narrative where you lost. And, and so hopefully that will change the calculation of people going forward. Another cool thing that I heard on a Israeli uh, podcast of the INSS, which is the academic, uh, basically it's like a national security agency, but just academic. So it's, all kind of open source and all the generals go to work there. <clears throat> so they, they said in a democracy, the, the head of the state is not afraid of its own army. So you have, uh, you have uh, an incentive to promote good people versus in a dictatorship, the head of the state is afraid of his own army. So he promotes <laughs> the worst possible people to be incompetent, right? Yeah. So they yeah. can threaten him. And you can really see this, like apparently people are mocking this, the guy who did the report on withdrawal from her son, he's like, he looks like an idiot. And like uh, the Russian people, they're not stupid. Like the people, <laughs> and they, they see this on yeah. TV and they're like, what the fuck? Like 
you know, you first you draft us, which you said you wouldn't. Now you're managing this war really poorly. And so now they have internal pressure to just like wind it down. In Russia to wind it down? Yeah, like a pressure from the people to Putin to wind down the war because like it's it's just not going well and people are just... Yeah, know. of course, but there is, he also is getting pressure from the hard ultra hawks that if he doesn't figure this out, they're coming after him. A guy yesterday, Dugan, who is an ultra, ultra hawk, said you better win the war or you're, he said or you're going to face the same fate as the fate of uh, the king of the reign or something like that. It was this old story to the the, the king who there was a drought and he didn't make the gods have rain, so he got killed. Just like Ludmila, <laughs> you will be punished by the dragon. No, no, but but the, seriously, that this is the problem, right? Because the, the Russia is ruled; it's a mafia state, and then the mafia state top dog wins. And so, as soon as you start losing, you're no longer the top dog, and you're going to get off. The, the question is whether he's going to get off by someone that's worse than him, right? And the people who are controlling the military forces. Like Prigozhin, which is the guy who's um, uh, the guy who's uh, enlisting the the the, uh, um, the prisoners. Um, the the guy who went, runs Wagner. That's right. He's he was a convict himself. He was ten years in jail for violent crime, and this guy is like running. He's like he was putting buddies from <laughs> from the prison. <laughs> Do you know how he got started? He's Putin's personal chef after jail. You know, I spent ten years in jail for violent crimes, and became Putin's personal chef. Chef Prigozhin, and now and now he runs all these companies, casinos. And the whole fucking place is dirty, man. It's just, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a cesspool. And they're gonna come after him. And I'm not sure anyone knew is gonna be better. You know? Yeah, my wife Kate <clears throat> is my personal chef, and if I was a dictator, I would totally let her run my paramilitary uh, special forces. Yeah, run it. Oh, okay, and man. Hopefully, well, hopefully we got a little bit of positive news at the end. Uh, yeah. you know, those are hard times, um, but you know we'll get through it. We'll get through it because of technology, and uh, we're finally, technology. finally turning uh, the corner. And uh, it's really good to uh, to chat with you, Alex, and uh, get uh, the latest updates. Awesome. Well, we'll talk soon. Thank you, everybody. Please like us, subscribe. It really helps. We're seeing a really nice growth in our download numbers recently. So please uh, keep it going and we'll get some really cool guests uh, lined up. Talk soon.